The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, it's good to be back with you in Richardson. It's always great swinging around Highway 75 to see your steeple. And uh, just as a reminder that you're pointing people to Christ and that's the purpose of this church. And Andy, great worship choir orchestra. Guys, good job this morning. What, a, what an uplifting time for us. And uh, we're actually going to be in your book, Andy, today because we're in the book of Psalms, all right? I want you to open your Bible to Psalm 102. Uh, Psalm 102. Now, a few months ago when your pastor and uh, Keith contacted me about preaching three or four times this spring and winter, you know, I kind of looked ahead at the schedule of what would be going on and uh, specifically the text and was delighted when I saw Psalm 102 because I love that section of the Psalms because they are just filled with great praise. Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things in our hands. In uh, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. In uh, Psalm 101, again, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord. And maybe my favorite Psalm, Psalm 103, which speaks about all our benefits that we have in Christ. What some great psalms of praise. But right in the middle of all of that is Psalm 102. And Psalm 102 stands by its wording in stark contrast to that. In fact, if you opened your Bible to Psalm 102 and you actually have a Bible that has titles, listen to the title of this psalm. It is a prayer of one afflicted, wow, of the person who is faint. And he pours out his complaint to the Lord. Now, think about that, how... Different that is from the rest of the psalm. The psalm is so filled with praise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. But in the middle of that, we have Psalm 102, which is about a complaint to the Lord. And I don't know about you, I, I'd hope maybe your pastor had made a mistake. Because <laughs> I like those praise psalms, okay? But this morning, we're going to deal with a, 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 a little bit of a heavy subject. Now, by the way... It is common to the Psalms. I found four other, two, three other places, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Psalm 79, have the same kind of tenor to it, of a complaint to the Lord, of, of someone lamenting their life and what's going on within their life. And as you look at this, in reality, this Psalm reminds us of the realities of life. Because you and I know that uh, life's not a bed of roses. Anybody ever had a bed of roses for a life? Uh, If you've lived very long, you've realized it may have roses, but roses have thorns, okay? And uh, your life uh, may understand that anyone uh, who lives in this world, and yes, anyone who follows Christ and follows God will have moments of suffering and pain, disappointment, and uh, they are real and they're part of life. And so my task this morning in the middle of this Lenten season is to remind us in preparation for that day of resurrection, there is the day of the cross. There is some lamenting to do about what's going on in life. And now you have to know the context of Psalm 102 to understand that. 
Psalm 102, many uh, theologians believe, was written out of Babylonian captivity. Now, preachers use that term, uh, phrase all the time. As you remember in the history of Israel, uh, the Babylonians came in and conquered them. And uh, they not only conquered them, they captured them. They took all the brightest and the best. And one of the, those was Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those took the best and took them off to Babylon, left only those in poverty. They destroyed the temple. They absolutely decimated that country and believing that that country would never exist again. And, and what you've got in the context of this is the people are living in captivity. And living in captivity, what has happened to them? They have no longer a king. They no longer have a priesthood. Their temple has been destroyed. Their sacrificial system has been eliminated. And now they have been conquered. They have been captured. And they're enslaved by other people. Look as though there will never be an end to that. And it's out of that. It's out of that that the psalmist, many people thought it might have been Nehemiah, Jeremiah, maybe even Daniel who wrote this. They're complaining to the Lord. They're literally lamenting what's going on. And so listen to this uh, psalm. We're going to read the first 11 verses of this. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in this day of distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in this day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl in the wilderness, like an isle in waste places. I lie awake and I am lonely, like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day, my enemies, what do they do? They taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread, and look at this, and I mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow, and I wither away like grass. Wow, what a lament. But to be honest with you, as you listen to this, this speaks of the realities of life. And as I look at this, there's two or three things in the beginning that jump off the page to me. And the first one is the fact that pain is real. Pain is something that is real. He uses terms in this text that all of us have experienced distress, groaning, loneliness, tears, withering away like grass. And I want you to know that's part of life. And anyone who says that's not part of life in reality is denying the real pain of life. And you and I know that sometimes life's pain can be so intense that it dominates us, that the emotional stress, the loneliness can dominate us, the tears, the hurt, the grief. And anyone who's ever been to that much in depth, it colors everything about your life, every thought, every action, every situation in life. And I want you to know something that we need to understand as we deal with people with grief is grief is real. And I think one of the things we sometimes do when our friends and loved ones and family members go through grief is we try and keep them away from it. I want you to know that's not good because people who are in trouble, suffering pain, need to express that. The Bible says we rejoice with those who rejoice, but listen, we also weep with those who weep. 
Many times I will be in a home that they've suffered some sort of pain or difficulty and, and someone will try and come in and they'll be weeping. They'll say, oh, no, no, no that's all, it's all right. And they're trying to get them to quit crying. I find sometimes the best thing we can do, just go to someone in pain and sit there with them and listen to them cry and weep because pain is real and we don't need to keep people from the pain. But also listen to this. Pain and grief and heartache and distress comes to God's people. Uh, many times we think that we, if we are faithful enough to God, we can live beyond it. And to be candid with you, that's what the Israelites felt. They felt, well, we're God's chosen people. God's going to always rescue us. God's going to always take care of us. Even the bell of the battle may look at the end that we're about to lose. He's going to sweep in and take care of us. And suddenly God didn't do that. What did God do with the people of Israel? He allowed them to be drug away into captivity. He allowed them, allowed them to be enslaved by a people. And, and what we need to recognize is we will never be good enough to avoid suffering. There's no insurance policy spiritually that we can ever have that's going to keep it from our lives. And by the way, if you yourself have been through some suffering or even in that right now, guess what? You're amongst a great crowd of other people because grief and pain comes to God's people. I, I, I look at the scripture just alone, the lives of the apostles. There were 12 apostles. Do we realize that 11 of the 12 were martyred? Only one of them lived to a ripe old age, the apostle John. Everyone else was martyred for their faith. And I'm, I'm always reminded of that great biographical section by the Apostle Paul. And he's talking about in 2 Corinthians, or their servant, servants of Christ, I am a better one. I, yes, may talk like a, bad, a madman. For greater labors, for greater imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day adrift in the sea on frequent journeys. In danger from the rivers. In danger from the robbers. In danger from my own people. In danger from the Gentiles. In dangers from the deacons. No, that's not in there, okay. In dangers in the city in danger in the wilderness in danger at the sea false brothers in toil and hardship many sleepless nights I hunger and thirst without food cold and exposure and apart from all these other things there is the daily pressure of the anxiety for all the other churches what do you see when Paul says that I, I think he just reminds us that even as believers in Christ, faithful believers in Christ, there's going to be pain. I know you've been reading along with me in the news the tragic uh, accident in West Texas of that van load of college, that college golf team from Hobbs, New Mexico. And in a moment, their lives are gone. And also that, the dad and the 13-year-old son in the other vehicle. And, and, and the grief that they must feel. Uh, that's a little Christian college there in Hobbs, New Mexico. And, and those kids come from all over the world. And, and I could imagine some families saying, you know, we're going to send our kids to a Christian university where they can be safe and kept care of. And, and yet, bow, in a moment, in a moment, grief and pain, tears and agony comes to God's people. It, it's real. It's part of our lives. But let me say one other thing out of this text in introduction. It's okay to complain. 
Now stop and think about that for a minute. It's okay to take our tears to the Lord, our groanings to the Lord, our sufferings to the Lord. God can take it, okay? (laughs) He can handle our complaint. You say, well, we shouldn't question God. Well, I want you to know there's a famous guy in the New Testament named Jesus that questioned God in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Lord, can this cup pass from me? Is there another way? On the cross, in his moment of suffering, in a moment of suffering, when we say, don't ever question God, he cried out, why, oh God, have you forsaken me? I want you to know that complaining to God is very natural in the middle of suffering. And it's something that uh, is good for us to pour out our complaints to the Lord and to let him know how we feel about the suffering that we experience. But listen to this statement that I'm about to make because in reality, it encapsulates my entire sermon today. It is okay to go there, but it's not okay to stay. Let me say that one more time. It is okay to go there and lament and complain. But it's not okay to stay there. Because if we stay there, listen to this. It'll hurt you and me. It'll hurt those around us. More importantly, it'll hurt the witness that we have in the kingdom of God. If we stay there and don't go through the journey God wants us to go through, through our grief and our pain and our suffering, I want you to know it will begin to affect us. It'll affect us physically. It'll affect us mentally and spiritually. We'll become the kind of person people don't like to be around. I'm convinced, Andy, and I'm afraid to say this, but our churches are filled with a lot of people that have never expressed their grief and uh, have uh, been people that, that in the middle of it have become embittered and angry. Many times, even as leaders in the church, the, the things we would get in reaction from people's lives had nothing to do with the circumstances at hand, had very often much to do with their past of their bitterness towards their circumstance, of the cup God asked them to drink. They didn't like it and they never got through it. And the churches today are filled with lots of people who are still very angry at God and bitter at God about what has happened and have never worked their way through it. They've gone to their grief and complaint and they've stayed there. They've found a safe place in their pity and in their anger and their sense of questioning God. And what happens to them is they become people who are never effective in the kingdom of God because the world sees us and knows us. They watch our countenance. They watch our attitude. They watch how we use our words and how we live our lives. And they see not someone who's working through their grief and pain and going on to meet the Lord, but they see someone who has just sat down in the middle of it. And I'm afraid what happens to us is our neighbors and friends and family don't want our faith because they don't see our faith as effective in the middle of our suffering and our grief. So you say, Gary, okay, it's okay. It's okay to go there, but it's not okay to stay. What would would you say we should do? Oh, by the way, that's another hour and a half worth of sermon, okay? I can't get all the places I need to get. I'm going to specifically in this hour and a half try and stay right here in this text, okay? Some of you just got distressed right there, okay? Because you got something at home cooking, all right? But we're going to look at three or four things quickly of what this text would say to us about how we get through our complaint, how we get through our lament. What do you start with? Well, you start with, first of all, is no matter what's happening to us in the world around us, 
God is still enthroned and he's still the king. Look, if you would, we're going to read verses 12 uh, through the rest of the chapter. But you, O Lord, you are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has now come for your servants. Hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and he will not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be named may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from the heaven the Lord looked on earth to hear the groans of his prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that he may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and the kingdoms come to worship the Lord, for he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, in whose years endure throughout all generation. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. And the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The first thing. This text reminds us, no matter what's happening around us, no matter how we are suffering, there is a God who's in charge of this world, not what's happening around us. Yes, certainly sometimes our grief and our pain can dominate us, but we need to move beyond letting it dominate us and be reminded that our God is enthroned in the heavens. And yes, there are times in life that he asks us to drink the cup of suffering like he asked Jesus to do. Yes, there's times in our lives where things will come to us that may not seem to be deserved, but in reality, what could we ever deserve but punishment from God? But we could give reasons why this shouldn't have happened to us and and why did it happen to us and not someone else? And what we're doing right there is we're questioning the power and the kingship of God. And as long as we do that, we'll never get through it. We have to stop and say, you know something, God? No matter what's happening in me and the world around me, you are enthroned in the heavens. This is your world. This is your king. This is your place. I I like that statement he said. He said, the kingdoms of this world, you'll wear like a garment and pass it away. You, You look back through the history of mankind, there's been lots of great kingdoms. And all those kingdoms are gone. And right now... Folks in Russia, Putin's trying to establish a new kingdom. Even if he does, it'll be gone in a moment because there's a king. This the king of kings. And we can trust that he's in charge of our lives. So the first thing we have to do is decide whose world is this. It's God's world. The second thing we do is to recognize that God hears the prayers of his people. Throughout this text specifically, verse 17, it says... He regards the prayers of the destitute. He does not despise their prayer. Now think about that for just a moment. Our prayers don't go to the Senate of the United States. Our prayers don't go to the United Nations. Our prayers don't go to the city council here in Richardson's. Our prayers go to the creator of the universe. 
And when we're in trouble and there's pain within our lives, everyone else we would take our problems to has limits of what they can do about it. But guess what? This God who's enthroned in the heaven cares enough about you and me to hear our prayers, even our complaint, he will hear. That word hear is not just a word of something that goes in one ear and out the other. This is the God of the universe that says to you and me, I know the hairs on your head. I know your thoughts before you think them. I know so much about you. And I take time in the middle of your difficulty to hear your prayers. And I want you to know I listen to your complaint. And I understand that you're suffering. And I want you to know, I have a son named Jesus who suffered. And I understand suffering. A man well acquainted with grief himself. And we hear your prayer. And we understand the need of your life. But then the next thing, the next thing is God will say to us, he will use our suffering for his glory. Now, let's just stop for just a minute. I'd rather God use my prosperity for his glory, wouldn't you? You know, I'd like to say to God, you know, glorify yourself by the fact that everything I do succeeds. And every place I go, there's no problems. And I never have any physical need or physical suffering. Or, or no one around me that, cares, uh, that I care about ever passes away quickly or I have any grief in that way. Lord, glorify yourself through me doing that. Well, he does. But I'm convinced as I look through the scripture... One of the greatest ways we reflect the power and the presence of God is in the middle of suffering. And when life doesn't go like we think it ought to go. And when life isn't able to be explained. When life happens to us. And and, and it's even brought upon us by someone else. What's so great about that is we have a God who still says... I will work all things together for good if you will trust in me. And I I, I want you to know that doesn't mean it's going to change. That doesn't mean immediately God rescues you. It just means, as it says in this text, there's going to be another generation that's going to see about our faithfulness. There's going to be another generation that's going to speak about what God did. And you and I need to recognize there are people in our family, in our neighborhood, and in our workplace that are watching us handle what's happening to us. What God wants to do is to bring about his glory through you and me. Now, I don't know if you recognize how incredible that is. That the creator of the universe takes someone like you and me Sinners just saved by grace who cast themselves upon the hands of God for salvation, redeemed simply by the blood of a son, that that God of the creator of the universe would allow himself to be glorified through us and that we, as we live this life, could taste of his glory. Wow. He says to us in the middle of suffering, if you'll follow me, I'll... 
I will glorify my name to you. I remember one time sitting in the office one day at church, the secretary called me and said, hey, there's a young man here to see you. And he was in church sitting and he wants to talk. So he walked in the door, sat down with me and learned he was from near my hometown of Hot Springs, Arkansas. And we actually had some family members of, of, that knew each other. And I said, why are you here today? He was a married guy with a couple of kids. And he said, well, he said, I have an uncle that lives there in Lonsdale, Arkansas. And uh, he said, my uncle's son was one day out in the yard driving the riding lawnmower around mowing the grass. And a sudden storm came up and the lightning came and it hit that young man and killed him right there in front of his dad's eyes. And he said, everyone in our family knew they were faithful believers and we wondered, what's this gonna do to their faith? And he said, but I've been watching through these months what's been going on. And yes, they have grieved. Yes, they have missed that boy. But I've seen something I want for my life. I want the kind of faith they have. <laughs> you know, for a preacher, I said, well, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. I don't have time today to do. No, no, this was fun. We got on our knees and that young man gave his life to Christ. He and his wife now are involved in ministry in another state. And I watched God mature him. But where did it start? I'd like to tell you, it started with one of Gary's great sermons. <laughs> no. It started with someone in the middle of their grief and their lament. Who allowed God to take them through it in such a way that God was glorified through that. And I would say to you today that I don't know where you are. It may be some grief experience, but... God wants to take that. And if you will allow him, he will use it in you and through you to touch others for his glory. And even in your pain, God will show himself faithful to you. And then lastly, we can know that God will act if we will trust him. We have a God who wants to get in the middle of our pain. Now you say, does that mean he always wants to heal it and take it away and make it easy and solve all my problems? I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a God who wants to get in the middle of what pain you and I might have and show us his power and his glory and his strength. And he wants to act within us in ways we never could imagine. But that will only happen in the middle of our pain. If we learn how to trust in him, even when we don't have all the answers. As I look at this psalm, my, my, my mind goes to the great history of Israel. Certainly the Babylonian captivity is a major place because so much of the Old Testament is written out of that captivity. And we have the incredible book of Daniel that points us to the coming of Jesus one of these days. That's written out of that captivity. But when you begin to look at the big history of Israel, what a picture of the truth of this text. I, I just take modern day history, the last couple of thousand years. We don't have to go back to the beginning. Do you remember what happened when Jesus came? He was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He was the promised Messiah. And he came and lived as no man has ever lived, lived a perfect life, healed, taught, cared about people. Where did, what did that get him? That got him a cross. He died upon a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. A reminder that God's purpose is being fulfilled. 
But then what happened? The gospel of the Holy Spirit came and the gospel spread all around the world. And it looked as though the gospel was going to capture the world and Israel would be saved and be transformed. But then 70 AD, there's a general by the name of Titus who came to Jerusalem because of a rebellion of the Jews and completely destroyed that part of the world. 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. All the stones, as Jesus predicted, would be pushed off upon one another. And the people of Israel, not just taken into Babylon, they were dispersed all over the world to be a nation no more. What's incredible about that is over those 2,000 years, if you travel around the world, you will find enclaves of Jewish people all over the world. Go to Argentina. Go to South America. Go to Central America. Go to New York City, okay? All over the world, those Jews were dispersed, being told you'll never be a nation again. Never be a nation again. And then in the 30s and 40s, Hitler decided he would wipe them out. One third of all the Jews in the world were murdered during the Holocaust. He would think it is over for them. Then in 1948, a remnant of the Jewish people declared Israel a nation again. And 250 million Arabs said, no, we're going to wipe you out. 70-something years later, that nation is not only wiped out, not wiped out. It's one of the most prosperous nations in all the world. I, I read a book recently called Startup Nation. Did you know on the New York Stock Exchange that, that most of the companies on the New York Stock Exchange are from, uh, from U.S.? But do you know what nation is number two? It's not China, it's not France, it's not Europe, it's Israel. We've developed so many new technologies out of there. Something simple like the drip system, used in irrigation, developed in Israel. And that nation today is prosperous and strong. And to be candid with you, uh, Allison, I'm not as much worried about the fact that uh, Russia's in uh, the Ukraine. I'm most worried about the fact they're in Syria. Their army is preparing to attack Israel soon, I think, along with Iran. And this nation that everyone said would not be a nation is back today. It's a powerful nation. What is that a reminder of? It's a reminder of the power of God to do what he's promised to do and would say to the world, my plan, And my promises are, yes, even in the middle of suffering, dispersion, murdering, holocaust, my plan is still in tow. And what you and I can know today is in the middle of our suffering, what can we know? We have a God's got a plan. We have a God's got a purpose. We will trust in him. We will see his power lived out in our lives. Let me just maybe close with a personal illustration, if you would. You may not know this about me. In 1986, my wife and I, we lost a 13-year-old son in an accident. One of our two children. And I had a little sister named Kathy, four years younger than him. And and by God's grace, three years later, we adopted Matthew, okay? uh, Matthew, uh, uh, I I got to do algebra homework for 40 years, okay? Uh, Because I had another child when I'm 40, okay? But let me just be candid with you to say, in the middle of that grief, I I didn't have much choice. I was a pastor of a church, and I had to live out my grief, voice my complaint, 
in a very public setting, very public situation. And I want you to know, I, I, I would like to say to you that, oh, just immediately I was ready to go, boom. I'm fine, God, let's go on. No, it's not that at all. I can't tell you how many times I stepped in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I wanted to run out the back door, never come back, okay? can't tell you how many days and hours were captivated and dominated by grief. But I can also tell you that I have a God in these 35 years that's been faithful. And he's walked me through that journey. Not, you don't ever get over that. He's walked me through that journey. And I can say exactly what Psalm 102 says is true. We have a God who hears our prayer, who says to us, if you'll trust me, I will lead you through this. And if you will trust me, you will see me act even in the middle of your grief. Bow your head, please, for just a moment, would you? Let me just ask you this morning, where is your life right now? In other words, you may have come to this room today and when I meet you in distress and groaning and loneliness and pain and tears, you know that because you've got some things right now that are very, very painful. Maybe be in your family. I've had a guy once say to me, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Some of you in your family right now could be going through some grief and hurt and pain. Oh, I wish today we could just have a healing line up here and you'd come and we'd pray with you and it'd be over with in a moment. But we don't do that. We pray. But you may have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You may have to walk through some pain and some agony, some hurt. But guess who will walk with you through that if you will let him? The one who's flung the stars in space, the one who created this creation, the one who breathed life in the middle of flesh, and the one who loved you so much he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And so much wants to take your pain and redeem it. That he said to you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Would you just draw near to the Lord today? Would you let him put his arms around you and love you? Let him comfort you. But let him help you know how to stand up and move on. Father, thank you today that you're a good God. That you're, you, Lord, that text says you never change. You 
you never change. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. God, I pray today that as we have looked at the heavy subject of grief and pain, that we've acknowledged this reality, but God, more than anything, we've acknowledged your faithfulness to help us in the middle of that. Do that today for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.